Jesus. Because here Jesus is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. We're coming into that time when Jesus on Palm Sunday actually ends his destiny, which is the cross on which he's going to die. And he enters into Jerusalem and he says this. He says, O Jerusalem, verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He's facing Jerusalem and Jesus knows what they're like. He knows what they're going to do. He says, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. He knows that he is walking into a city that is about to kill him. About to kill him. He understands. He knows. He knows. But what's in Jesus' heart as he looks at this city? What's in his heart? Have a look at the fact that he says Jerusalem twice. There is significance to that. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The double use of the name. You know what that means? It means that he loved Jerusalem. It's an outpouring of love. You know, when David lost Absalom, what does he say? He says, Absalom, Absalom. He doubles the name. That is a mark of the deepest love and agony. Incredible love. Jesus looks at Jerusalem and grace is flowing from his heart down onto that city, down onto those people. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I just love you. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. Grace is flowing. You know, God is so different from us. I don't know about you, but if we were to face people that we know are going to kill us, that we knew were going to hate us, would stone us, would hurt us in every conceivable way, what would we do? How would we react? How do you react when someone hurts you? you know, our natural human reaction is to withdraw, isn't it? We just want to withdraw. We want to stay away. We wouldn't march into that sort of situation. God is so different from us. And Jesus shows this. There he is on the outskirts of Jerusalem facing the people who are going to kill him. Does he withdraw? No. He's about to ride right into Jerusalem. He does not withdraw. You know, there's a, there's a book in the Old Testament called the book of Hosea. And uh, I think Hosea must have been the unluckiest preacher to ever have lived. You know, we, we see in the news today problems that we have with pastors and um, problems that we have with preachers and all sorts of problems, but, but really they are nothing compared to what poor Hosea faced. I was talking to an old pastor the other day and he said, Keith, he said, you know, Young pastors in our church, they don't last more than five, six years. And they're burnt out, they're had it, they just don't stay the course anymore. And uh, he, he said, it's different these days. And I said, well, it's tough being a pastor sometimes. Far tougher than people realise. But if you think it's tough now, what about in the days of Hosea? You know what God did to Hosea? God came to Hosea one day and he says, Hosea, I want you to preach a message. But not with words, I want you to preach it with your life. I want, my people are so dumb, they won't listen to you what you say. I hope they'll listen to what you do. And he said to Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Not just any prostitute. I want you to marry Goma. And Goma was probably a temple prostitute involved in the, in, in the ritual worship, satanic worship, 
that God's people had gotten into. He goes, I want you to worship that prostitute. I want you to uh, marry that prostitute. And so uh, that's exactly what Hosea does. He was a bit different to Jonah. He was a very obedient prophet. So he marries Gomer and has a couple of kids with her. And then Gomer does the dirty on him. She commits adultery. She leaves him and starts back in her old trade. She's being a prostitute once again. And you know what God says? God says, I want you to get a bank. For goodness sake, what's going on? Poor old Hosea. He must have said, but God, this is against all the, all the things that we've learned. Yeah, she's committed adultery. I should just wipe her off. I should have nothing to do with her. You know, I should just, she shouldn't exist for me anymore. As a matter of fact, she should be stoned to death for committing adultery. God says, no, I want you to marry her again. And God is preaching. A sermon is summed up in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. How can I give you, this is God speaking, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zebium? My heart is changed within me and my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor light, and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. You know what God's saying? It doesn't matter how much my beloved people hurt me. It doesn't matter how much they reject me. It doesn't matter. I will not come in wrath. As I look at them in their misery and in their sin, and as I look at them in their wickedness, my compassion is stirred up. My compassion is stirred up. Nothing can change God's love for his people. I want to tell you this morning, as we look at Jesus, change his love for you. And this is something we need to remember. This is something that sometimes every day we need to say to ourselves, nothing can change God's love in you. We have a big banner at Transit, which I pinched out of Philip Yancey's book. It says, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. That's grace. Nothing will change God's love for you. You know, the saddest thing that we have there in Matthew is when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, when he's looking at Jerusalem, and there he is on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and what happens? What happens? They just don't want to know him. Jerusalem, 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 I love you. I know that you kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. What does Jesus say? I have longed, I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you weren't willing. You weren't willing. The saddest words, they were not willing. The problem wasn't on God's side. The problem was on their side. You know, Philip Yancey was once addressing a convention of ex-sex workers and current prostitutes in a place called Green Lake in the United States in 2004. And he addressed them by quoting from John Piper. He said, The worst tragedy of sexual sin is not fornication or pornography or other acts of moral failure. Boy, that's interesting. John Piper said, The worst tragedy of, sex of sexual sin is not these failings. The worst tragedy is a growing sense of guilt and unworthiness that can overtake us, cause love, 
wallowing in guilt, we shrink from the forgiveness God freely offers. He says, that's the worst sin. All human beings fail. Every single one of us fails. Jesus is once teaching his disciples and uh, the Pharisees are sitting around listening and this is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, you know, the Pharisees were very pre-law and Jesus starts talking. He says, if you hate someone, guess what? You've committed murder. If you look in lust upon a woman, guess what? You've committed adultery. And he goes on and on and on. And I visualise the people sitting there thinking, wow, we're all guilty. None of us is pure. All of us deserve punishment. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. None of us is perfect. We're all guilty. We all deserve punishment. And the tragedy is that we think we're pretty righteous. And sometimes when we do fall, we think, oh no, God can't possibly love me anymore. He can't possibly love me anymore. We had a girl come to transit once, or come to Nary Warren once, way before we even had transit. She came in and we used to have a sharing time and she stood up and shared. And she actually was a, um, a girl who, who worked in the sex industry, not because she wanted to, because she had to pay a lot of debts related to her drug use. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry that uh, I didn't come to church this morning, but I had to work. And uh, I was really proud of our congregation at the time because nobody better than I lived. Because we knew her. We knew where she was coming from. Let me tell you how she became a Christian. She told me. She said, I was lying. I was lying in the gutter one day after a bad dose of heroin. And it was pouring rain. And I'm just lying in the gutter. And water is flying past me, feeling totally miserable. And he said, I, she said, all of a sudden, I heard a voice speak to me. And that voice said, my name. Chrissy, Chrissy. And she said, the voice said to me, Chrissy, this is Jesus and I love you. I love you. Here she is at the lowest point in her life, having taken a bad batch of heroin and Jesus is speaking to her. And what does he say? Get out of the gutter and get your life into, action, into gear, get your life together. He says, no. He says, Chrissy, I love you. She said, that's what made me come to your church. She said, I, I looked up in the phone book if there was any church that I could come to on the railway station because we're right next to Nary Station. And she said, that's how I first came to your, your church because uh, I felt that I wanted to find this Jesus who loved me. You see, grace flows downhill. It finds people at their lowest point. And that's what Jesus does there before this Palm Sunday. As he's about to enter Jerusalem, grace is flowing to these people. That's what Jesus does when he's on the cross on Good Friday and he's being tortured and they're staring at him and they're spitting upon him and they're gambling with his clothes. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Grace is flowing, flowing from Jesus onto these lowest acts. You know, I often think of the image of a shower. You know, you stand in the shower and maybe because I grew up on a farm and we never had a shower, we didn't even have a bathtub, we could only wash at the kitchen sink, which was rigged up by my dad. Uh, you know, it was a, a real jerry job. And um, this is on a farm in Queensland. And uh, I remember the first time I ever had a shower, I thought it was the most wonderful thing in the world. Even today, I get up in the morning and I have a shower and the water just flows. This beautiful warm water just flows over me and I think... What have I done to deserve this? Yeah, 
It just comes and it's warm and it washes me clean. You see, water is flowing downhill and it's washing me clean. And the water doesn't say, Keith, do you deserve to be washed clean? You know, it doesn't ask me that. It just comes and washes me clean. God's grace is like that. Every time you get into a shower, think of the fact that God's grace is just flowing from heaven, from what Jesus did on the cross and he's just washing you clean. Lean into the grace of God. And we need to. Because we all sin. Every, every one of us sins. And we think to ourselves, does God still love me? Hop into that shower and say, does the water still want to cleanse me? Do I still want to be washed clean? Is it going to stop because I've got the wrong thought, or had the wrong attitude, or did the wrong thing? No, it's not. Lean into the grace of God. Just lean into his grace and say, Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, your grace is just flowing to me. No matter who I am or what I've done, you still love me. Just think when we're in the gutter, when we're in the lowest place we could possibly be, God's grace will flow to us. He won't tell us off. He'll tell us that he loves us. One of my favorite singers is Don Francisco. He's probably old hat to you guys now, but I oh, used to get... Oh, probably 30 years ago, we went to one of his concerts in Melbourne and he told a bit of his story. don't know if you've ever heard his story. He says he left a Christian home, but he turned away from God and he got into everything that uh, you know, the, the uh, music culture got to offer. He got into sex, booze, drugs, everything. And he said he was sitting in a, in a motel room one day and he and said, Don, I love you. Same thing. I love you. Do you think that when you're at the end of things, do you think when you're overwhelmed by your own sinfulness, that God's going to come down on you like a ton of bricks and correct you? No, God's going to say, I love you. Jesus is going to say, I love you. Cross to wash you clean. My grace will always flow down to cover you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we sit here this morning, all of us struggle. All of us sometimes come to a point where we say, Lord, I'm not sure whether you can forgive me, whether you still love me. Lord, teach us then to lean into your grace, to know that there is nothing we can do to make you love us less. There's nothing we can do to make you love us more because your love for us is 100% perfect in Jesus beginning to the end you'll never stop loving us as you never stopped loving your people Israel you just couldn't stop loving them people of Jerusalem even though they're about to kill you so you love us so as we go into this special week as we prepare to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Lord let your grace flow flow down into the very depths of our heart even to those bits that we've locked away that we don't want to open because we're afraid that you might stop loving us because you never will. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.